You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. talk about heaven, uh, one of the big questions that's asked concern these things called near-death experiences, uh, or otherwise called NDEs, and there's a lot of questions about it, uh, even among Christian groups. Uh, Some people wonder, are they real? If they are real, what can we take from them? Uh, What exactly are they, how do they fit in with what we find in Scripture? And interestingly enough, if you really look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10, Paul uses a third-person language to describe his own near-death experience, uh, where he is actually taken up into the third heaven that you're going to see here in just a few moments. In fact, he's not the only one. There's even evidence to suggest the fact that there may have even been some other people in Scripture as they're having some of these visions who had something similar to a near-death experience. So everybody who can and is able to, please stand as we pay honor to the reading and hearing of God's precious holy word. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. Paul, again, using second person or third-person language, says, It is doubtless not pr- and not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, he's talking about himself, 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up. The word caught up here is the same word used for the rapture. In 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians, where the church is said to be caught up to meet the Lord. He says, he was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. But God knows how he was caught up into paradise. Now, where is paradise? There is that place where God resides, uh, where, where that spiritual place where God resides until the resurrection occurs when we enter into the new heaven and the new earth as we've described in previous messages. He was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one I will boast, yet not, not of myself or of myself I will not boast except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool for I will speak the truth. But I refrain lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. And, I, and he even has this conversation, he says, whether this was the, the NDE that he experienced or whether this was something else, we know not. But he says, unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of my revelations, a thorn in my flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. 
And for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore most gladly I will boast in my infirmities. That the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in my infirmities. In reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses. For Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Dear kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and what it means to us. And we just ask, Lord, this morning that you would just fill us with your precious Holy Spirit. Allow us to speak the words that need to be spoken and hold back any words that don't need to be spoken. For in and through it all, Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear, and our hearts that will apply these truths and be better for it. For it's in Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen and amen. You may be seated. When we talk about things like near-death experiences and things of this nature, uh, there's a lot of confusion that surrounds the topic. It kind of reminds me of these, uh, you know, there are a lot of confusions in life, and, and one of the most important things is to try to work through things so we can get a clearer understanding of what's being presented or what's being discussed. And, and such was the case, I heard this story of uh, these three men who weren't known for being very intelligent. In fact, they all three were dumb as a brick. Uh, they had not lived a good life, necessarily. So they all three died, and they were taken up to the, to the gate of heaven. And they saw St. Peter. And St. Peter says, well, I'll give you a chance if you'll do one thing for me. He says, you need to explain what Easter's all about. And the first person comes up, and he says, can you tell me, sir, what is Easter? What's Easter all about? And the one guy says, well, isn't that the holiday in the fall where you get together and watch football and eat a lot of turkey and, and drink a lot? Isn't that the, the celebration? Isn't that Easter? Yeah. <laughs> well, brother, <laughs> we need to pray for you. <laughs> well, obviously, Peter said no. <laughs> and in an instant, the man disappeared. The second man comes up to him, and he said, uh, he, Peter asked him the same question. He says, what is Easter? And he says, well, isn't that the holiday come wintertime when you, when you decorate a dead tree and you give presents to one another? Isn't that Easter? Not quite. Poof, he was gone. The third person came up and says, okay, I know what Easter's all about. And Peter says, well, why don't you enlighten us? What is Easter all about? That's the celebration in springtime, I think, or somewhere, somewhere along that time where, where uh, Jesus was crucified and he uh, died and, and he was put in a, in a tomb. And every year they roll the stone away and he peeps his head out to see if there's six more weeks of winter. Isn't that the one? Getting closer. Not quite there. <laughs> and instant, poof, he was gone. Well, obviously, when we talk about near-death experiences and things of this nature, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of stuff that goes along with it. You know, you've probably heard stories that doesn't quite cohere with what we find in Scripture. And, and we're going to talk a little bit about that today. But what we do find is we're going to ask certain questions uh, about near-death experiences as we go through this journey about heaven. We're going to ask three questions. One, are NDEs real? And we're going to ask that question, are near-death experiences real? The second question we're going to ask is, if they are real, what can we learn from them? What exactly do we take from these experiences if they are real? And the third question is, if they are real, what are the limitations of near-death experiences and what they can tell us about heaven? Well, first, obviously, the second and third question wouldn't make any sense if the first question wasn't a yes. So, obviously, the first question is, are near-death experiences real? And the answer is affirmative. Absolutely, they are. 
You see, the problem is, and you hear some preachers say, well, you just got to cast all of them away. There's some weird stories, so we're just going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. You have some people on that field, but the, the problem with that is, is there's just too much evidence to suggest that there's something to them. And on the other camp, you have other individuals who say, well, we hear all of these wonderful stories about heaven. They must trump what we find in Scripture. No, that's not true either. Uh, The Scripture is the authoritative Word of God, inspired, infallible, and inerrant in everything it tells us. So what do we take from this? First and foremost, we can say that near-death experiences are real because, first of all, biblical examples... And we've seen one just today in in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. There were several times, you know, Paul gets a bad rap a lot of times. Paul was a man who was on a mission for Christ. He was a man who was on fire for Christ. And there were several times where he was left for dead. In fact, there's there's several stories in Acts. When we go back to Acts, we're going to read some of these stories where Paul was taken to to the corner of a city and was stoned and left for dead. That happened more than one time. In fact, many people wonder about this thorn in the flesh if maybe it was some type of physical infirmity that Paul carried with him that he wanted to be rid of. You know, we all carry some form of a thorn in the flesh, don't we? I mean, I would give anything if I didn't have these digestive problems and didn't have to worry about acids and stuff like that. Uh, That's kind of my thorn in the flesh. We all have thorns in the flesh, so to speak. But Paul had this near-death experience that he says that he was taken up to the third heaven. He entered into paradise and he said that he saw things and heard words that could not be described. Inexpressible words which is not lawful for a man to utter, he says. We also see an example of John the Apostle in the book of Revelation chapter 17 verse 3. Also in chapter 21 verse 10, he uses this language that he was carried away in the spirit. He doesn't necessarily say that he was there physically. But during this vision, his spirit was carried away by the Holy Spirit, taken to these different areas where he saw these visions. It seems to be that that would be something comparable to what we find. And also in Ezekiel chapter 3 verse 14 and chapter 37 verse 1, Ezekiel also uses the language of the spirit lifting him up and taking him away. He also says in Ezekiel 37, 1, when he sees the vision of the valley of dry bones, he says, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by his spirit and set me down in the middle of the valley. Now, the spirit of God could have physically done that. It's it's not beyond the scope of the spirit of God to, to lift us up at any point in time and physically set us somewhere else. But it's more likely that he's talking about something comparable with what you would see with the near-death experience as the Spirit of God draws him away and uh, takes him to this place giving him a vision. But we not only see it because of biblical examples, we see it also because of modern examples. Now, Gary Habermas at Liberty University has done a lot of research into these near-death experiences, as has J.P. Moreland at Biola University. And he says, and they all give this caution... When we talk about modern near-death experiences, we can't prove what they saw on the other side. Okay, so if someone tells you of seeing this heavenly vision, you can't prove that scientifically. But what you can prove is when they have, if a person is certified as dead, and they have these conscious experiences and tell you about something they saw in another room or somewhere else that can be verified by the people who were there. That's stuff that you can prove. And friend, I want to tell you there is way sufficient evidence to prove that something happens at death. I'll give you an example of, the, uh, of Kim Clark. 
A lot of times when people have near-death experiences, they don't talk about it. It's like uh, I've just finally come to the point where I tell people about my encounters with angels. Uh, because, you know, there's always this fear. If you tell people about seeing something like that, they're going to think you're a little bit crazy. Then I come to realize that everybody thinks I'm crazy anyhow, so I've got nothing to lose. Amen? Now, Bob, you let me down there. Right? <laughs> I thought there was going to be a big amen back there. But anyhow, Kim Clark, she had had a near-death experience early in her life, and she was a nurse at uh, Harborview Hospital in Seattle, Washington. And she really kind of suppressed this. She died, she had this near-death experience, and she really tucked it away. She didn't really want to talk about it until she had a patient who herself had a near-death experience and told this nurse, Kim, about having this experience where she was lifted out of her body and saw this blue shoe on the ledge of the hospital. And Kim, she, her curiosity got the best of her. She thought, blue shoe on the ledge of a hospital? What is this woman talking about? Certainly she had some type of hallucination. Something crazy is going on with this woman. So she took it upon herself to check around the hospital. And sure enough, when she reached the third floor of the hospital, tucked away in a hidden part of a ledge, she reached around with her hand and felt around, and there was a blue shoe. You could not see it from the ground. But you could see it if you had a helicopter and was hovering just on that one little section. Maybe you could see it there. But this woman had never been to the hospital before. She was carried by ambulance. There is no way this woman could have known that. There's also another example. And like I said, there are story after story after story we could tell of, of instances like this. Another uh, instance is of a lady named Vicki. John Burke, in his book, Imagine Heaven, tells the story of Vicki, a young 22-year-old woman who was caught up in a nasty accident. And when she had an accident, she was carried away by ambulance. And when she was taken to the hospital, uh, she, she died there on the hospital table. Uh, uh, several hours later, she was able to come back to life. But she recalls leaving her body, noticing that she had, this is just pure coincidence, an orange shirt and dress on. That's just sheer coincidence there. But anyhow, she had an orange dress that her hair was back in braids. She noted everything about her body. She noted everything in the hospital room. She noted everything in the rooms around. Now, the interesting thing about her case is that Vicki was born blind. She had never seen anything. But yet when she left her body, she described in detail these visual encounters that she had had with the instruments, with the clothing, with the braiding of her hair, with the tools the doctors was using, there was absolutely no way whatsoever that she could have known any of that information. And friend, these are just two stories of thousands of cases that you can look up and research of individuals who tell about whenever they leave the body, whenever they die, that they're carried up and they experience heaven. Now, not every story is heavenly. There are some people who have hellish experiences as well. Now, they're not as popular as the stories of heaven, but there are individuals who have hellish encounters as well. But what we do find in all of this, friend, is that we as believers, we don't need to throw the baby out with the bathwater just because a few stories don't mesh. What we need to find is the truth. Jesus says, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall what? Set you free. So this brings us to the next question. What can we truly know about near-death experiences? What do near-death experiences really tell us? And friend, it really gets fascinating. I want to get a little philosophical with you here. Because every single person you encounter in this world has what's called a worldview. 
And a worldview is how you look at things. Is how you view God. Even atheists have a religion. They have a worldview. Worldview encompasses the way you view God, the way you view the world, the way you view humanity, the way you view everything in life, our destination, our end destination, and everything like this. Well, the first thing the NDEs do is, is they, they teach us of the failure of materialism. Now, the materialist worldview is one, you hear a lot of people talk about this. You see this especially on the History Channel, Discovery Channel, and things of this nature. It's individuals who believe that the only thing that exists are the things that you can see, hear, smell, touch, and taste. If you can't see it, then it must not be real. Anyone ever encountered someone like that? There are a lot of people who believe if it's not physical, then it must not exist. But the thing that near-death experiences teaches us is that there is a life beyond the scope of this mere mortal life. Consciousness or the spirit is not completely connected with the body we find, leading one to accept the fact that uh, not only do we have a spiritual dimension, we also see that we have an afterlife, that we can survive death, that there really is in death for the believer nothing to fear. Amen? It teaches us that really in death there is nothing to fear. The third occasion is that conscious experiences beyond this material world prove the reality of the spiritual world. And I want to tell you something else as a pastor. And we have a lady right here who can verify the things I say because I'm sure she's seen the same thing working, and that's Crystal Watkins. When you're around people who've died, you begin to see interesting things take place. Amen, Crystal? And I want to tell you, and Crystal can back me up on this, there is a world of difference between a Christian dying and an unbeliever dying. Amen, Crystal? There is a world of difference between the two, I'm going to tell you. But what we find with near-death experiences is there is evidence, scientifically, biblically, there is evidence that there is a life beyond the scope of this one. And from what we find in many of these experiences, it's a whole lot better. It's a whole lot better than what we experience in the here and now. It's so strong that even Thomas Nagel who was a former philosopher, uh, former uh, uh, f- uh, professor of philosophy and law emeritus at New York University. Now, is New York University a conservative school? No. Is it a Christian school? No. <laughs> Thomas Nagel wrote a book called Mind and Cosmos, Why, Material- Why Materialist Neo-Darwinian Conception of-, of Nature is Almost Certainly False. Thomas Nagel is not a Christian. He's an atheist. Interestingly enough, he is saying that materialism is dead because there is evidence suggesting there's life beyond the scope of this mere mortal life. There's life beyond the scope of this one. And it's interesting how he works this out. He doesn't quite say that there's a God, but he does kind of indicate, and or some others like him indicate, that there may be an afterlife. We just can't explain it. You know, They go to a certain point, but they, they leave God at the door. Okay? But we see not only the failure of materialism, we see the reality of afterlife. We see that there is a life beyond the scope of this one. Now, a lot of times people will say, and we're going to get into this a little bit more, aren't these near-death experiences so different, radically different, that we can't know anything about them? Not quite. John Burke, in his book, tells us 12 things that are commonly experienced with near-death experiences. Twelve things, and you may want to jot these things down. Now, this is not 100% because not everybody has a heavenly experience when they die. And so that's why it's not 100%. 
But the first thing we see is that 75.4% of people who, who say that they've had a near-death experience talk about an out-of-body experience. There's a separation of consciousness from the physical body. They can see their body left behind, and they're leaving it behind, but there's this separation of their soul from their body. 74.4% talk about having heightened senses. Many people said that heaven is more real than what it is here. It's a realer place. Now, I don't even know how you describe that, but it's more real there than it is here. Number three, 76.2% of the people who experience these near-death experiences talk about having an incredible sensation of peace. In fact, if there's nothing else you take from this, you can see that, yeah, while there's nasty stuff that happens before, when the time of death comes for the believer, you're going to experience peace like you've never experienced in your life. Amen? You're going to experience peace unlike anything that you could ever imagine. 33.8% 33.8% talk about passing in and through a tunnel. 64.6% talk about seeing a brilliant light, seeing the light of God. Um, 57.3% talk about seeing family members and individuals like that. Uh, 60.5% talk about time and space itself stand still. Now, I don't know how you even describe that, but you're talking about a place where Time is no longer a factor. Or time has no hold upon a person anymore. Can you imagine that? In this hustle and bustle world in which we live, imagine a place where time is no longer a factor? I don't know about you, but I I think I'd kind of like that. Uh, Also, uh, 22% talk about having a life review, a review of their life. 52.2% talking about seeing heavenly realms, seeing the realm of, of, of heaven, so to speak. Uh, 56% talk about encountering new knowledge that was experienced in heaven or even around their surroundings. Uh, 56% talk about this special knowledge. 31% talk about encountering some type of barrier or boundary uh, beyond the scope of this world and the heavenly one. And 58.5% talk about a conscious decision to return to their body because of unfinished business or so to speak. Now again... NDEs can't prove what they see on the other side, but they can tell us a little bit about what it's like as a believer to die. And really what we see is, is as I've told my wife several times, as a believer in Christ and understanding the promise we have in resurrection and having, understanding the promise we have in the afterlife, death itself is not the problem. It's all that junk that comes before it. That's why I've often wished that when my time comes, it would be nice just to die in my sleep. Wouldn't that be nice just to go to sleep on this side of eternity and wake up in heaven? Man, that'd be the perfect perfect scenario. But of course, that's not up to us. But the third thing we need to say, when we're talking about near-death experiences, there are limitations that we have to understand. Again, on the one side, we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater because the Bible does tell us to, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So really, these experiences as believers, they really shouldn't surprise us, should they? Because we're told in Scripture to expect something like that. But there are limitations on modern near-death experiences. Number one, modern near-death experiences are limited by language. Eben Alexander is a, uh, was a neurosurgeon, I believe, at uh, UNC Chapel Hill, if I'm not mistaken. But he talks about an experience that he had up in Virginia where he died. And his case is interesting because they had him on all of these monitors and he was brain dead. 
There was no activity in his brain whatsoever, and he starts describing conscious experiences that he has while his brain is dead. There's nothing. There's no pulse whatsoever. There's nothing there. And this goes on for several hours. But one thing, the biggest thing I took from his book is he said that he found that it's, it's very difficult to try to explain what you see. Because how are you going to explain timelessness to somebody? How are you going to explain seeing colors that you don't know what they are? I mean, how are you in human terms going to describe that? And if you really think about that, that makes, a lot, that makes sense. That's why for a four-year-old boy, he would see something that looks like swords, whereas a, 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 a neurosurgeon would see something that looks like butterflies. Uh, the language itself is very difficult to describe. In fact, John Burke in his book says, uh, this lady named Crystal, who had a near-death experience, says these words. She says, there are no human words that even come close. A guy named Gary who had a near-death experience says, there are no words to express God's divine presence. A Dutch patient who had a near-death experience said, what I saw was too beautiful to even put into words. There are no words to even describe what I saw. And a man named Suresh, Suresh, I guess is how you say his name, he said, the kind of love that I experienced there cannot be expressed in words. So understand, as people have had these encounters, they are simply trying to use the best language they can muster to describe what they see on the other side. And so that's why we have to understand, in Scripture, God is giving individuals the words to say, to put into practice. That's why you sometimes see symbols. That's why you see sometimes used in symbolic fashion. But God is giving the people the language, whereas individuals, modern individuals, who have this type of experiences, it's hard for them to come up with the language to describe what they see. Secondly, modern NDEs are limited by interpretation. Can we just all make a simple point here? Heaven is a big place. Amen? Heaven is a huge place. And I want to tell you, Liberty University is not as big as heaven, but it's pretty doggone big. And I remember the first time, because I'd taken classes online, but my first class where I actually went up there you know, a, a few months back, I was overwhelmed. I'm going to tell you, I was overwhelmed. I didn't know, I, I knew the parking spot where I was supposed to be, but I didn't know all the rules and regulations of where you're supposed to park and when, trying to get somewhere else. And I heard they're very aggressive about towing. So I told the lady when I first went there, I have two, two goals. One, to do as good as I can in my class, and two, not to get towed. So I wanted to make sure that that didn't happen. So the first time, I didn't know how to get around the campus. So the first time, I was a bit confused. I didn't know where to go and how to, you know, where to be. But the second time around, I met a guy from Durham, North Carolina, who took me under his wing. He himself is a former neuroscientist. I don't know why I keep coming up to Chapel Hill, but he, that's where he worked at one time, and he's in the program now. But he took me under his wing, and he showed me the campus. He showed me where to park. You know, now, when I go back up there, I'm going to feel a lot more comfortable understanding where to go, how to go there. You know what the difference is? I had an interpreter. I had a guide leading me around. With modern near-death experiences, understand a person doesn't necessarily have a guide. But in Scripture, you have either God himself interpreting the experience or you have an interpreting angel who's interpreting the experience. That's why when it comes to Scripture and modern near-death experiences, if there are any discrepancies, always take the Word of God because this is the inspired, infallible, inerrant Word. Amen? 
So if there is a difference between an experience you read about or hear about on television and it, and it conflicts with God's word, always take God's word because these guys had interpreters. These guys had guides, whereas most people today do not. Also, modern near-death experiences are also limited by revelation. In this book, we see individuals who were having encounters with God who were given the words by the Holy Spirit. In Greek, it's called theonoustos, God-breathed, that God is giving them the words to write down. He has authorized the words you find in the Scripture. So there again, that's why Scripture takes precedence. And last but certainly not least, modern near-death experiences are limited by apologetics. Sometimes you hear of individuals who aren't believers who experience heaven, and we wonder about that. But I think I have an answer for that. Some people have said, I will not believe in God unless I see Him. Guess what? <laughs> that may be God's way of saying, Hello, McFly, I'm real. <laughs> you know, the, the whole story, though, is if the person died and stayed dead, because God knew what He was doing, if the person died and stayed dead, you would not have had the same experience. Amen? Not according to what we find in Scripture. But what God may very well do, it just as he's giving Muslims in the Middle East visions and dreams that are leading them to Christ, I believe that he sometimes gives people these experiences to wake them up to the reality that he does exist and that heaven is for real, if I can use that term so, so, uh, as, so lightly. That heaven is real and he is using these experiences to wake people up. Because nearly every single time when a person has this experience like like this, they come back to earth and they, they become believers in Christ. They become more serious in their relationship with God, but they also come to the point in time that they no longer fear death because of this newfound relationship they have with Christ. So I would dare say that God may be doing this very thing to, to show people the salvation, the heaven that they can truly have if they accept Christ as their Savior. Let me close with this. Like I said, with a lot of things... Too many times we're too easy to throw the baby out with the bathwater. It kind of reminds me, uh, we, we, we put more demands on things sometimes than necessarily needs to be. It kind of reminds me of this uh, story I heard of a man who went to heaven. And uh, he, he got to heaven and, and uh, Peter asked him, he says, I want you to do one thing for me and I'll let you in. Spell the word love. And Peter says, it's L-O-V-E. Peter says, you're right, come on in. He says, hey, I got to do something for a few moments. Can you watch the gate? While I go speak with God, I've got to clear out a few things. And the man says, sure. So a few moments later, his wife comes up to the gate. And he says to her, what are you doing here? She says, well, I, I passed not long after you did. He says, well, you, to get into heaven, to get in here, you've got to spell a word. Are you ready? She says, yeah. He says, spell Czechoslovakia. Now, obviously, he put more regulation there. I mean, you don't spell to get into heaven. That's not the point. But we put more regulations. The fact of the matter is, is God is a saving God. And I think what we find with near-death experiences is quite simple. I think it's God's way of shaking us up to the reality that heaven is real, for one. That there is a life beyond the scope of this mere mortal life that we experience. And I think in many cases he's using this as a means to bring people to Christ because there have been many lives who've been transformed by having these very experiences. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today, let me just ask you first and foremost, if you don't know that you'll be going to heaven when you die, 
let me encourage you to come and receive Christ before it's eternally too late. Or maybe you're here, maybe there are things that you're going through in life and you just don't quite understand what's taking place. And maybe you want to lay those problems and concerns at the foot of the cross. We encourage you to do so. Friend, I want to tell you that life is too short to carry grudges. Life is too short to carry these burdens upon our back. And one thing we find from these near-death experiences is in God's presence, there is perfect peace. And if you have a relationship with Christ, I want to tell you there's no reason why you can't have that same type of peace this morning. So maybe you're struggling with something and maybe you want to lay those concerns at the foot of the cross. We encourage you to do so. Or maybe you'd like to come and join the ministry of Huntsville Baptist Church. Whatever God is saying and doing in your heart, we just ask that you come and respond accordingly to His Spirit's call. Dear kind of gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the reality that is heaven. And Lord, we know that so many times when we hear about these experiences, on one hand, we automatically reject them saying that that can't be, or, or, or we, we start taking these uh, stories and we place them above God's word, which is also equally, if not, more, uh, if not worse, to do. But Lord, as we hear these experiences, may we be reminded of the reality that is in heaven. May we be reminded of the purpose that you have, that you gave your son to die on a cross for our sins, that we would have eternal life with you and have it more abundantly in you. You died so that we could live and live eternally with you in your presence. Well, we thank you for everything that you're doing and everything that you continue to do. We ask, Lord, that you'd have your will and your way in this time of invitation. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Would you please stand as we sing our final selection? Who is God? What is He like? How can we know? The answers you give to these questions will have a tremendous impact on your worship, discipleship, apologetics, and evangelism. Faulty ideas about God are permeating both the church and the culture. It's time to get back to the basics of understanding the existence and nature of the God who is. Marking the 25th year of this annual event, Southern Evangelical Seminary's National Conference on Christian Apologetics returns to Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, with an all-star lineup of some of the finest Christian minds in the world to explore this incredibly important topic. Join us October 12th through 13th, 2018 at Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Among the 65 speakers at the event include Ravi Zacharias of RZIM, Josh McDowell of Josh McDowell Ministries, Chip Ingram of Living on the Edge, Gary Habermas of Liberty University, Natasha Crane, Richard Land, and many, many more. Ticket prices before August 1st are $75 for adults, $45 for students. After August 1st, the tickets go up to $85 for adults and $55 for regular price. Save an extra 5% per ticket when you register by May 1st. Group, homeschool, Christian school, and skeptic discounts are available. Call for details by dialing 1-800-77-TRUTH, extension 201. Once again, that's 1-800-77-TRUTH, extension 201. Or go to conference.ses.edu. The 25th anniversary of the 
National Conference on Christian Apologetics will be October 12th and 13th at Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. I hope to see you there. Some say the best Bible translation is the one that's most literal, word for word, through and through. But there's not always a direct English translation of ancient words. So others say the best Bible translation should favor readability, thought for thought, holding on to the same meaning. But we can all agree that the very best Bible translation is one you trust and one that you want to read. One that stirs your heart and moves you to share its truth. The Christian Standard Bible has been shown to be an optimal blend of accuracy and readability compared to other leading translations. The very best balance, faithfulness to the original text, and clear language that connects to the heart. After all, it's not so much about changing your Bible translation, but about seeing the Bible change your life. Point your heart to true north. The Christian Standard Bible. The Christian Standard Bible is the official translation of BellatorChristi.com. Go pick up your translation of the CSB today. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Our great nation was built on these simple principles. So was our university. Find your greatness at Liberty. Online or on campus, discover more at liberty.edu. It's the difference between a job and a career.